A lot of times, children don't really begin forming memories before the age of three. Well, that's according to cognitive psychologists. Sometimes, this can be due to trauma, stress, or even an adverse situation. And sometimes, it takes a unique life event for your first memory to actually begin. At least that was the case for Mike. That's where it all began for him. Like, I go colorblind for, for a brief moment in time. And I'm just like laying on the ground, there's blood gushing everywhere. And then, you know, people come running over. I can't remember who I came running over and they call an ambulance. And then I wind up eventually getting stitches. I have a scar over my eye to this day. But that's kind of where my memory starts. It's kind of where everything begins um, for me. So it's April 2017 and NPR had recently created that hashtag, that hashtag tripod you know the movement to try and get more people listening to and discovering podcasts well i was one of those people who was right in there like a dirty shirt i was cruising the hashtag on instagram swiping through the feed faster than my eyes could focus kind of par for the course when it comes to ig and i ended up coming across this podcast with some fancy blue artwork We leave you this, I thought to myself. What's that even mean? Well, might as well check out at least one episode, which happened to be the first. I listened, and I liked what I heard. It was something easy to listen to, and it was different, different than the other 67 podcasts that I had in the library of my poorly organized Apple Podcasts app. The podcast, it was it was conversational. It was an indie podcast where this husband and wife, Mike and Tammy, I later learned, well, they talked about their life in the U.S., primarily in Atlanta, because, you know, that's where they live. I ended up listening to the podcast in regular rotation and started to feel as though I was on this journey with Tammy and Mike. I was learning about their lives and hearing about the current issues and current events they would talk about, drawn upon from their different perspectives than my Canadian counterparts and I had about the world. Finally, finally I thought, man, it's time to ask, would Tammy or Mike want to do a session for character? Based on what I knew of their lives, I was positive that there were so many more golden nuggets to uncover. I'm Ben Grenell, and this is Character. Episode 28, What's Love Got to Do With It? Yeah, for sure, for sure. And so where are you from originally? I am from East St. Louis, Illinois. You, so, I do know that. I do know. I remember you said that one time on the podcast. I was like, oh, man, Mike's from Mike's from the STL. I, I remember you said yeah, that. Now. Yeah, so the uh, so so St. Louis, it, the, the, the one that everybody knows, uh, St. Louis, Missouri. And so I'm actually uh, the... Illinois and Missouri are, are at that point is separated by the Mississippi river. And so as okay. soon as you cross over the Mississippi, as soon as you come from St. Louis and cross over the Mississippi river, you're in a small town called East St. Louis. So it's a separate city, but it's a small town, um, majority African-American. Um, and so that's, uh, that's, that's where I'm from. Once a bustling industrial center, You know, like many of those cities in the Midwest, East St. Louis suffered from mid-century de-industrialization. As factories began to close, 
the railroad and the meatpacking industries cut back and moved jobs out of the region. This led to a significant loss of working and middle-class jobs, and it was pretty obvious what the outcome would be. The city's financial conditions, well, they, they really deteriorated. Throughout the 50s, this effect had a significant impact on the city's music scene. Blues, rock, and jazz became increasingly popular, and East St. Louis kind of became this launching platform for some of the world's best musicians, like Miles Davis and, you know, Ike and Tina Turner. You could almost argue that without East St. Louis and its socioeconomic influences, I probably wouldn't catch myself driving down the highway blaring, what's love got to do with it? Must try to know that it means more than that. Whoa, what's love got to do, got to do it. What's love but a second-hand emotion? By the 1960s, street gangs started to appear in many of the city's neighborhoods. And, like all these other cities that, that end up facing problems with crime, violence, you know, anything that contributes to adversity, a lot of these East St. Louis residents faced these problems on a regular basis. Fast forward ahead a bunch of years, it's 2016, and East St. Louis had the United States' highest per capita murder rate, and 43% of its almost 27,000 residents, well, they were living below the poverty line. So, you could say that adversity was a natural state for anybody who is residing in East St. Louis. Needless to say, I learned, I learned a ton about East St. Louis from reading about the city. But it wasn't the reading that I did. I gained the most insight about the adversity people face by talking directly with Mike. So it's, it's Illinois, as soon as you cross over the state line. Yeah, gotcha. And then did you live there like your whole life as far as growing up and, and went away for college? Is... So I was I was born in that area. I was born in that area in the hospital that was in the town next door. And then um, I think maybe when I was maybe about maybe three, I think, uh, my mom and dad moved to California. And so, uh, I lived in, I lived in Southern California until I was about nine. And then it was after my mom and dad had separated. And then my mom and my older sister and my brother, uh, and my younger sister, there were four of us, four kids. And then my mom, we moved, uh, back maybe five. I can't remember. And so, yeah, we moved back to East St. Louis. And so I spent roughly, you know, nine years of my life, give or take some time in Southern California and then about, about nine in East St. Louis. But the thing about East St. Louis is that that's where my mom is from and that's where her family is. And so she kind of moved back home. And so, Gotcha. And so was that kind of like a support system thing? <laughs> uh, one could say that, but... Uh, my with my mom's relationship with her family um support system is i don't even I, it would be very very strong i think it's more familiar familiar with being familiar to her surroundings as opposed to not knowing anyone when she was out in california and so she we never had she and then us through proxy never had the best support through that extended family, so to speak. Like when you when you were in SoCal, you guys kind of had nothing. It sounds like as far as a support system. Yeah my my father had uh, a couple of brothers out there. Okay, and so 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 when they moved out there, um, you know, she moved out there with my father, and you know, so she was out there with them. And then when they separated, it was you know. She didn't know anybody. It's better off for her to go back to a familiar space. So, yeah, where were you guys in Southern California? We were in that I can remember. Um, 
what I remember living in. Yeah, it's an elementary school in um, Escondido, California. Okay. And then, yeah, that's that's about the one place I can remember. Um, interestingly enough about myself, and I told my wife about this maybe yesterday because she was talking about my memory. I was like, I really don't remember much before the age of seven. And I don't think that I ever really remembered anything. Even, you know, usually as you get older, you don't remember things as you're younger and younger, but my whole life uh, before maybe the age of seven is just, I don't know. You're like, I always find it interesting when people say, oh, this happened to me when I was five or I was six. And so I can't even tell you if my memory is at seven or eight when it starts. And so. That's great. Do you think it's because, uh, because of moving around or like, I wonder why that is. It, it could be because it could be from moving around. Um, I can't tell you how many times I did move around. Um, the last, I remember the last couple of places that we stayed in when I was in California, maybe the last three. Um, uh, or it could be because in the first place that I remember, uh, <laughs> I had some head trauma <laughs> as a child. And so, and so that's probably what happened. And so what happened with that? Oh, it's, it's nothing serious, a little embarrassing. I think, uh, so we were living in an, in an apartment and my, uh, my, my sister had friends and my, my sister had friends, which is, uh, my sister right above me. I'm the second of seven, uh, currently, but at the time it was only uh, three of us. So my sister had a, my sister had friends and I remember my brother right up under me having friends. And so I, uh, we were in this apartment complex. I remember only thing I remember about it is that it was green and white, and there were palm trees. It was like Southern California, and so I wanted to talk, hang out around my sister, who's four years older than me. She said no, and my silly self decided since she didn't want to talk to me, I would go in my own business. And when I did so, I <laughs> this is so embarrassing. I not only did I just leave, I skipped away. And when I skipped, I had my eyes closed as some dumb seven-year-old would do. And I skipped into a palm tree. Come on. <laughs> with my eyes closed. Come on. Yes, that's that's what happens. And so, like, I went, I, I think this is actually where my memory starts, which is so funny. And so um, I hit the palm tree. Like, I go colorblind for, for a brief moment in time. And I'm just like laying on the ground, there's blood gushing everywhere. And then, you know, people come running over. I can't remember who came running over and they call an ambulance and then I wind up eventually getting stitches. I have a scar over my eye to this day, but that's kind of where my memory starts. That's so crazy, man. And so you, like, this wasn't just like a little concussion. You were bleeding and everything from it. Yeah. Yeah. I had to, yeah, I was bleeding, had to get stitches, uh, and that's that's kind of it's kind of where everything begins um, for me, which is creepy. And so, <laughs> so you're you're seven years old. You stayed in in SoCal for another two years, and then, it, like, did you leave behind a bunch of friends? And and that, like, do you kind of remember that part of uh, that? Was it hard leaving and going back to East St. Paul or East St. Paul, East St. Louis? Uh, so, so for me, not necessarily. It wasn't hard, but do I remember leaving friends? I don't. I honestly don't remember having friends. Like, like I said, like I was saying before, I remember my siblings having friends. I don't remember really having friends. And so when we left, uh, when we when we left, we our what I from what I remember, there was a from what I remember, there was a uh, we had a. Uh, well, it doesn't really matter, but we had a vote. I don't know why this even even pops up in my mind right now, but uh, I remember we we had lived in a different a different apartment, and uh, my mom was thinking about moving back to East St. Louis, and you know she brought me and my brother and my sister in, and she kind of you know asked you know what we thought about moving, and I remember I was the only person that didn't want to move, but I think it was. More so, I was I was kind of attached to my dad and everything like that. But I think that was the really 
that was really the only attachment that I really had. Um, and so when I moved to East St. Louis, it wasn't like a big deal other than, you know, moving on from my dad. It, it, it was really nothing to me. And so did you like, did you kind of leave your dad behind or did you um, stay in contact with him? <laughs> did I, so, um, so my last images for my dad when I was younger, um, they had, my mom and dad had a joint custody or not. I, I never remember if it's joint or shared custody in, in our system, but I used to go see my, I used to see my dad's on the, on my dad on the weekends and everything. And so, uh, I remember seeing him on the weekend and then we kind of left, uh, from what I was told later on is that my mom and my dad had, had a tiff. And then, uh, I guess maybe about us moving, but once I moved to, to East St. Louis, I, to be honest, I really didn't hear from him that much, uh, after that. Um, and I, it's probably one of the biggest things that kind of like weighed on me as a person, um, over, over the years, because I, as a, what what was I, I was nine when I moved, when we moved back to East St. Louis. And I was one of those that tried to, I really worked hard to get in contact with him because his family was also from the area. So he still had family from there. So I was one to try to reach out to his family and get in contact with him and nothing really ever materialized with him, uh, through those years, I think I seen him. I seen him two two times that I can remember. Um, I the first time I remember coming across him um, because how I remember things going is that I would want to see my dad. I knew so when we moved uh, back to East St. Louis, um, we had a place, uh, but then I also knew where like his brother stayed. And so, and I knew um, my cousins, I knew his nephews, for example. And so I would see them. I was like, oh, tell your dad that, you know, to tell my dad I'm trying to talk to him or whatever. I'm trying to get in contact with him. Or, you know, I go by his, uh, because my cousins, they lived in, you know, the, uh, the projects that were, that were projects or the, uh, I don't know what you all call them out there. The uh, lower income um, housing development things, and so I would I would go out there, and then I would talk to I would talk to my uncle or his wife. I'd be like, oh, I try, I'm trying to catch up with my dad, you know, uh, you know, tell him I'm looking for him, I'm trying to talk to him, and then so he'd always say he's gonna call him, he's gonna call him. And then we never, never really comes through. But then once he said that, oh, he's coming in town. And when he came, I, I remember I was like as happy as I could be. Uh, he, uh, he came, um, I remember it was around Christmas time. Um, and so, you know, uh, my mom dressed us up, you know, real nice and, and everything. And we go and see him at my, uh, at my uncle's place. And, it was interesting because he bought us uh, the one thing I ever remember. I ever remember him buying for me. He bought me and my younger brother because we shared it. Because he was uh, both our fathers. Uh, he bought us uh, the Game Boy Pockets, and so he bought like, Game Boy Pockets with the Pokemon games. Yeah, yeah. And so yeah, yeah. So he bought us those, and so my brother had the red, and I had the blue, and I enjoyed that thing to the end of like tomorrow <laughs> like I don't know and so that was one of the first times that I remember him me seeing him since I left and the second time was maybe about six or seven years later and he actually came by my mom's place and we had me and him had a conversation my mom wasn't there I don't believe she may have been and then uh, I think that was it. Those were the only really two times I remember seeing him um, after the age of about seven or eight. Well, eight, well after moving. So let's say and nine. so you like you're not in contact with them still to this day, really. I I am. Um, I think at the the so 
so the main thing with me and him was that uh, I was always trying to get in contact with him, but because at least in my opinion, um, him not wanting to, for example, deal with certain systems, you know, whether it be child support or dealing with, you know, my mom or whatever, you know, he kind of avoided contact because let's not lie. If, uh, if I go to your brother and your brother says he doesn't have the number at the time, that's a lie. <laughs> and so, uh, that's the thing with that. I think as, as he, I think as I approach my, my, uh, high school graduation, um, I think he said he was going to come or something like that. And I had this whole entire breakdown. Like, why are you coming? I've been trying to get in contact you in contact with you for, you know, as long as I can remember. And now that I'm getting ready to graduate, now you want to show up? No, I don't want you here. No, don't come. And then for the following years after that, uh, I would talk to him every now and again, and everything was always a breakdown, like at least for me. And I would end up in tears and crying and just it, it, it was bad because I had ne- I never got over that sense of abandonment. And so uh, I think maybe in 20, 2010, I finally got to the point where I was like, well, I'm going to try to get past this. And so uh, I was like, well, we can try to have conversations and stuff like that. And so uh, we maybe talk maybe once or maybe once or twice a year uh, since then. And then even after my daughter was born, she was born last year, uh, he, he got to meet her around uh, Christmas because he was in town for his high school class reunion. And I was in town with my family and I just so happened to find out he was in town from his oldest daughter. Uh, and, you know, I went and saw him. He met my daughter and that that's kind of, that's kind of it there. So. And so that's the first time that Tammy would have met your old man too, I guess. That, yeah, that was the first time we were, we were, uh, we were staying in a hotel cause at the point in time, my mom didn't have enough space for us to stay. So we stayed in a hotel and I, I told my, I told my dad that I was like, oh, we're staying, uh, we're staying at this hotel. You can come by and visit us. And then, you know, he came by, oh, which also reminds, I actually saw him one time before that as an adult. Yeah, dude, you don't mind you keep, going keep back. running with it. Yeah. So, so I, so I said before how I kind of tried to get past it. You know, maybe back in maybe 2010, 2011, I can't really remember the year. And I was like, okay, we can try to make this work or whatever. I know that I have been bad about handling this and you have been bad about whatever you've been bad about. And so uh, I was in um, graduate school. Um, I was in graduate school. I was in a, I was currently in uh, graduate school in my PhD program. Don't ask me if I finished because I haven't. And so I had got my first paper accepted to a conference out in California. Um, it was in, it was in San Jose, California. And so I, so my, my advisor, she, she, you know, paid for us to go, you know, so I can go out there. So I'm like, Oh man, I haven't seen my dad in, you know, God knows how long. And so I sent him a message like, uh, I sent him a message like, oh, I'm coming out there. I would like to see you. It'd be not, well, it could be nice if I could see you. And then, um, and then, you know, he gives me the spiel about, you know, well, you know, let me see if the, my money's right and see if we can do that. And I'm like, I'm coming from, you know, the east at this point in time, I'm in the east coast of the United States. So I'm like, I'm coming all the way over to the west coast. If you can't make it from Southern California to Northern California to come see your son, then I don't really have much for you. You know, long story short, he made that happen, and I think he spent. I was there for maybe about a week, and he he stayed there for three days. And so I spent. I would go to the conference, do some stuff, and then after that, I would go and spend time with him. And so that was my first time that, like, I can remember spending a, a significant amount of time with my dad. And I thought, like, and since then, we've been okay. And that was in uh, 2013. And so, 
Yeah, and I'm sure sure the dynamics different too, right? Because when you're a kid, like the brain just processes things so different. Like you don't understand things the same way. You don't understand why things happen, or like you're trying to contact your dad. Why is he in SoCal and we're in East St. Louis? But as an adult, you you get to more of the same level, like psychologically the same level where you can go out and have adult conversations, right? And you can go out and have a cocktail together and you can like do what you want to do. So that, I can imagine that would change the dynamic, right? You could be real with your dad way more at that age than you could when you're a kid. Yeah. Yes. Because I mean, mostly because as a kid, we never got to have the chance of conversation because I maybe only talked to him maybe about five or six times in a you know nine year span. But then at that time, not only was I older, you know, 23, 24 at the time, but, but then I was armed in information. I was armed with information because, you know, not for people who knew him and things of that nature and things that were going on with him and stuff like that. And then kind of armed with the fallout of between him and my mom. I always thought that when I went out there, I was trying to make sure like, oh, you know, because whenever you get, well, you may not know, but whenever, you know, parents get separated, whoever the kids stay with, they kind of get the information from that parent. And so that could cause them to be able to, that can cause them to be able to see the other parent unfavorably. But I, I always wanted him in my life and care about him enough that I always just wanted his explanations. And so I kind of disregarded everything. It's like, this is what I know. This is what I, this is what has been explained to me from my mom. This is what I heard from your siblings. This is what I heard from people that know you. And and I presented to him and I'm like, you tell me what the truth is. And in that moment, you know, he actually, admitted his wrongs and, and, you know, where he felt as though he could have stepped up. And even if there were disagreements between, you know, him and my mom or whatever, you know, my rebuttal to that is that what they got to do with me, (laughs) you know, and we kind of worked through that and we worked through that in his hotel room, you know, drinking Budweiser's and just got through that. And I think that made like the biggest uh, impact for my mental state, I guess would say, I would say. And so what, what was it that, that caused kind of that fallout? Like if you, and again, if there's anything that's, that's off base and you don't want to talk about, just be like, yeah, man, let's, let's pass. I'll take the pass card on that one. So. No, I think, I, I think, and I, and I've noticed this between, and this may be, uh, excuse me if I'm getting a little bit, no, dude, a little too philosophical. But I, I've all, I, 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 what I've noticed at least from at least from men that I, you know, when the fallout happens with said woman, you know, their attachment is always to the woman. So his his attachment was always his attachment had seemed to be to my mom, and so when that happened, his bitterness towards her impacted how he treated us or lack thereof or you know or the lack of treating us because he didn't deal with us and so or you know if he he was going through particular life situations um that you know if negative things such as child support court cases or whatever it could adversely impact him um there were other things that i won't go into but it's kind of it's kind of that thing and i and i've seen that not only in my own situation, but I've seen it in, in a ton of others. And it's unfortunate, um, but it's, it, I, I don't know where it comes from, but it seems to be what it is. You don't like, you don't, you fall out with the person that you're with and you're like, man, forget them kids. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's, it's like, it's terrible, but yeah, the resentment builds up. Like it's, it's irrational, but the resentment builds up towards others as a byproduct of, like the um, disincent for one specific person. Right. That's exactly, that's exactly how I see it. And so I don't, I don't know. I don't know, but we're okay now. And so it's cordial. So it's fine. And and you're, you're, you're still tight with your mom, I guess. 
Yeah, uh, me and my mom, <laughs> sometimes with the people say that we're the same person, but yeah, I'm, I'm very tight with my mom. Um, you know, uh, she's she's back at home and uh, given uh, over the years, uh, my mom in particular has dealt with uh, health issues, um, different types of cancer, which is an interesting statement to say in itself. And so, uh, and then she, when she, while she was working, she had some, um, she had some issues that are, that had happened at work that caused her to get injured. And so to the point where, you know, now she's not able to work. And so, uh, I keep in contact with her and just try to contribute to whatever she has going just to make sure that she has a decent, um, standard of living. And so uh, we're 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 close. We we don't talk as much as we should because I'm terrible with communication. But uh, but but we we we're tight. Yeah, that that must be hard though too because like you guys are you guys are far away. Like it's not it's not like your mom is like forty five minutes. You hop on the oh man, I forget the freeway name. What what's the one the I ninety ninety five or yeah yeah not ninety. Yeah, not yeah. It, it it gets tricky when you're in the in the middle of the U.S. Uh, yeah, ninety five go to goes down the East Coast uh, mostly, but yeah, uh, yeah, we're about eight hours away. And so I think when I first left to go to college, I was six hours away. And then when I went to my first graduate school, I was maybe twelve hours away, ten, twelve out, ten hours, ten or twelve hours away, twelve. And then when I went to my second graduate school, I was maybe about twelve. Or fourteen hours away, and so yeah, we've never really been close. And she started; she didn't really start getting sick that I was aware of until I was in college. And so it was a, uh, it got a little um, difficult and tricky for the, you know, then you know, mostly because initially she didn't want to tell me because she didn't want to distract me from, you know, my studies or or anything like that. But then you know, life when things are bad. You know, they tend to continue to be bad. And so uh, and so I spent a lot of my time in, in college, you know, not only trying to, you know, finish um, school, you know, and make money to pay my own bills, but to try to do things, not necessarily for her because she was still working on and off then when, when she could. But, you know, I had four younger siblings at the time. And so trying to you know, do little things for them um, here and there when, when and where I could. And so, um, and so that was kind of then. And then when she couldn't work, uh, and then when she couldn't work, it was kind of like, oh, you know, I'm going to help out when I can, you know, let me go ahead and finish in school and stuff like that. And then eventually got to a point when, like I said before, don't ask me about a PhD program. <laughs> We'll, we'll keep we'll keep that off the record. <laughs> no, 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 yeah. But when I got there, no, it's fine. Um, that's just how I keep because always people always ask you when you gonna finish. But while when I was doing that, my uh, it really got to a point where uh, things got bad, and and you know she was waiting on disability, and she's waiting on disability to come through, and it had been three or four years. Um, just trying to go through the system to get disability because she literally physically couldn't work. And, and so I had had some, a, a situation come up where I had a job offer. And so I kind of just left my program, so to speak, to take the job to not only, you know, assist her, but at that time I was already married, you know, I had recently married my wife, Tammy, and so it was kind of like, yeah, this is kind of the best situation, the best resolution for the for the situation at hand, for all situations. And so that's kind of how I ended up where I am today. Yeah, man, that's crazy. Like healthcare in the U.S. is so insane. I mean, it's just so different than what we experience here in Canada. Tell me about it. <laughs> I just recently looked at our upcoming health insurance plans and it just doesn't make any sense how much money they want from me 
Oh, dude, it's crazy. Like, see, I didn't even realize that to have a kid, and you actually, you guys talked about this. I think it was the last episode. Yes. Right. So I didn't realize I knew this before you guys had talked about it because my my brother had his first kid, and when my best friend had his kid, um, I didn't realize it's like thirty grand to have a baby. I was like, "What do you mean? It's it's like it's human right to have a baby, and it costs you money? Like up here, you literally go to the hospital, you have your kid, and you just like leave." That's it. Yeah. Yeah. It can cost you anywhere from 11 to 30 grand or maybe even more in some cases, depending on the type of coverage you have. It's so insane, man. Like it's so, what I don't get is like, what if somebody gets pregnant? Cause you can't control that. Right. Mm-hmm. So somebody gets pregnant. Uh, let's say they get pregnant, not at their own will. Let's take it to the extreme. Right. And I know we're getting oh, a geez. little off track. Somebody gets pregnant, not by their own will. And they have a baby that, like, they they believe in they want to have the baby, right? And it's like they're forced to pay money? It's so crazy. Well, yes. Number one, they're forced to have the child if we're going to if we're gonna go there. And so and they're forced yeah. to have the child, and then they're forced to pay for said child that they may or may not want to have. But, yeah, that's one of the... That's, that's insane. I think when I first, uh, when I first found out my wife was, uh, pregnant, maybe later, well, not first found out, it was later into her pregnancy and I was at my job and I was talking to this guy that worked in the cubicle next to me. He was talking about how much it costs for his kid. And he was like, yeah, it cost me, you know, almost 12 grand to have a kid, you know? And, and luckily when my daughter was born, you know, my my wife had a government job, you know, a federal government job, and it only cost us $175. Come on. Like $175. Yes, $175 to cover all, you know, the 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 birth and the and the days in the hospital and all the stuff, all the treatments for the baby and all that stuff. $175 versus, you know, 11 grand. And so Yes. It's insane. Like it's insane that there that there exists a space where the 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 difference in costs can be that large. Uh, it's it's so crazy, man. It's like it's almost like if you want to have a kid and you don't have, so you guys were in the fortunate position that that worked out because of of Tammy having a public sector job. Yeah, but assume assume that you guys are just both working private sector. It's like you got to get your side hustle on just to have a kid. Yes, exactly. You know, and so it's so crazy. And, and so Tammy just left her job, and Tammy just left her job in DC because, of course, we live in Atlanta. And so my benefits, you know, my dental and vision benefits just expired yesterday, and then I have thirty days left in the health insurance that she had, and then after that, we have to get on my plan. From, from my employer. And so they want, you know, $750, $760 every two weeks to have an equivalent plan that cost her, you know, $135, $135 in that same, in, in, in that same time span, $135 every two weeks. And so we actually have to think about putting off our next child because we can't afford it. I mean, we, because it's either that or you pay the 11 or eight, 11 or 12 or 15, however many thousand dollars it's going to take to have that child. Yeah. That's like a mortgage on a house just for health insurance. Yes. That's insane. That's so crazy, man. So we, uh, let's, let's rewind a bit. I know we, we, uh, digress a bit, but it's all, it's fun. It's just fun chatting through all this stuff, but you, so when you were growing up in East St. Louis, when you moved back there, were like, did you move into social housing, or was it just your dad's brother that was living there? Did I do what? Did you move into like social housing? Like you said that your dad's brother lived in. in oh, the- so, so, so no, I, I, I personally have never lived in social housing, or, um, or, but uh, my mom was always working. She was a a, a, a nurse. Uh, LPN. Oh yeah, licensed yeah. practitioner nurse. I believe that's what that means. And so, uh, 
And so she had decent income. And so we, and so she was able to do that. But I think even during that time, I remember one time in particular, I believe there was like a car situation and she, and now that I think about it, it's kind of maybe when it could have been the onset of her being sick when I was like nine or 10 or something like that. And so I remember there was a, I don't know if it was a car accident or something. I would just remember that it was dark. I just remember it was dark and we had got outside the car and then my mom like blacked out. And I think it may have been like a seizure or something. And so that could have been like, it could have been the beginning of the downhill uh, roll or whatever. But from what I remember, we, we did, we did have a place, but um, well, uh, let me let me be a little more. Let me correct that. Actually, when we first moved back, we stayed with uh, my mom's uh, parents, my grandmother and grandfather, and so uh, we lived there. And it, it was hell. <laughs> if we're just gonna be honest about the situation, it was. If I'm just gonna be honest, it was it was hell. Um, they were very uh, strict Southern um people um and they they so my mom was i can't remember where she falls in the lineup but she's one of 11 uh one of 11 kids yeah and so they they had my grandparents had 11 kids and my mom was somewhere around maybe she was in the middle she was either just before or just after the middle i can't remember uh but um, from what I know f- from my family through the years is that they kind of treated her poorly. And then when we, when we wound up having to move in with them, you know, they also treated us poorly. And so it's, but it's funny because you can think about it in one way, like, oh, they let you stay with them. So did they really treat you bad? But then the answer to that is just yes. And so I would, uh, during that time, you know, I had, I had, I had aunts and I had aunts who had, I had aunts who they preferred or uncles they preferred and they had kids and then they would always get preferential treatment. And so like, I remember that it was kind of, I wouldn't call it a shotgun house. I don't know if you know what a shotgun house is, but no. Uh, and so these shotgun houses, usually you think about it as if you're in a if you're in front of a house and if you you can shoot a bullet through and it can hit all the rooms (laughs) it it can hit all the rooms. oh yeah yeah yeah. but um there's a little different because it was like a duplex so each so let's say the duplex each side was a shotgun house but they kind of like owned both sides of it and so they kind of like knocked out the wall well they really they kind of knocked out the walls or whatever and so I remember that. So what I remember about this place, because it burned down in maybe like 2000, uh, 2001 after my grandfather passed, but like they would have, so you come in and then there's the living room and then the living room, it would have uh, it, the living room. You They have their couches. I think the thing of that time for, that generation is that they covered their couches, their their living room furniture in plastic. Yeah, yeah, I totally remember that. Yeah, yeah, and so and so they would so they had that. You go to the next room, you walk straight back. There's the the dining room area. Uh, there's the dining room area, and it's like you know, there's a dining room. If you walk straight back to the next little thing, there's a bathroom off to the side. They had their first refrigerator kind of in the hallway. And then as you walk back one more thing, one more section, then there's the kitchen. They had like a deep freezer, you know, they, they had a deep freezer. They had another fridge. And they had two deep freezers and another fridge. And there was like a laundry room, like off to the left. And so my main focus goes to the living room and the kitchen. And so one thing about, uh, one thing about the living room, one, let's, let's start with the kitchen. So there were two refrigerators. There were two refrigerators, two deep freezers. There were two refrigerators, two refrigerators, two deep freezers. The first refrigerator in the hallway, as you walk back, was kind of like my grandfather's like fridge. 
And so that was kind of like where the, they had his stuff, his, well, actually, I'm not really sure. No, that was a community fridge, let's say, for my cousins and or family or whatever would come by. The only thing I stayed in it was my grandfather's milk, which was odd enough. Why would he only have milk in that fridge? But it doesn't matter. Um, as you go back into the kitchen, there was the first deep freezer, which was the community deep freezer. It was a smaller deep freezer. And that's kind of like where they stored certain meats and cakes or whatever. And then towards the back wall, there's this big, long deep freezer with that's locked. And in that locked freezer and and adjacent to it is a uh, another fridge, which was kind of like my grandfather's fridge, is all the good stuff. And so all the good stuff, the the, the good food, the the good uh, snacks, the good sweets, the ice for <laughs> it was all you know it was in those two locations, but those were the locations that me and my siblings were banned from, and so we could never really go into um, those particular uh, those that that freezer and that fridge, and so we would have like my my cousins would come over and then like my my grandmother would store like like if their parents brought stuff over she would they would store it inside that deep freezer in that fridge and, you know at least in the deep freezer they could lock it up and so we couldn't get into it or we couldn't go in that fridge because if we went in that fridge we would get beat and so uh and so it was really like limited but the crazy thing is is that even though we were limited from going in those particular, you know, freezer and fridge, the other freezer and fridge was free for everybody. So like when we would get stuff from my mom would buy stuff, you know, we would put it where we could. And then my family members, they could come over and they just grab whatever's in that fridge or freezer. And so they would eat up all our stuff and then we would be left with nothing. And so it, it was a crazy situation when you, you know, at times you don't have food and not because you couldn't afford food, but because anybody that walks into the house can eat whatever you have. But then after they finish whatever you have, they have their little special storage off to the side. <laughs> they, they go to your fridge for appetizers, have a little snack and then head to the back, unlock the freezer, get a couple of pizza pops out of there. Exactly. Exactly. And then, oh, and then, and then, you know, if we move back towards the front of the house, the front of the house where, you know, we first come in, there's the living room, you know, there was, uh, you know, that was a special place. And by a special place, I mean, only pe- only certain people could be in there during the daytime because during that time they didn't have central air. There was a AC unit there. And that's kind of like before you moved from the living room to the dining room, there was an inch, not an entryway, but a doorway, but there was no door. They kind of had like sliding panels. And so you would actually have to pull the panel from out from the side, which was just like a big flat piece of like, I would, I don't know if it was dry wood, plywood, I don't know, but you would have to pull it over to close off that, that gateway so the air wouldn't escape. No way. And so the, and so that, uh, and so that front, that, that, that front, we called it the front room. And so the living room area, we called it the front room. So the front room would have the AC unit in the windows where the couch, the, the living room set was where TV was, but, you know, only my younger cousins, who were the favorites, were ever able to really be in there during the daytime, you know, with the air in the summertime, because in the summertime, you can get to like, you know, 100 some odd degrees Fahrenheit or whatever, you know, with, and then when you think about a heat index, it could be like 110. And so they'd be in there chilling during the daytime, having fun, I don't know, maybe eating ice for all I know. Uh, and so, but at the crack of dawn, you know, six o'clock in the morning, we get woken up in the morning and they tell us to go outside, me and my brother, me and my brother and sister, and we have to be outside all day. Come on. And so, yeah. And so we would just be outside all day. Um, just, I, I wouldn't, well, sometimes it was having fun. Other times it was doing work uh, because uh, behind the house, there was like an alley. And then beyond, if you walk down the alley, uh, my grandfather used to have a plot of land. And in that land, he grew like this uh, garden 
uh, it was a relatively decent sized garden. And so uh, during the summertime, he'd have us go out there and we'd go. When I say garden, I always call it a baby farm, but uh, you know, he'd be growing corn and cabbage and all these different things. And so me and my brother, we would have to go out there during the daytime, during the summer and kind of work out there and do work for him and, you know, <laughs> till the fields. <laughs> but, but, the, but your cousins didn't have to do anything. Uh, so my female cousins, they wouldn't have to do anything. They would be in the house sitting in the air, uh, at least the ones they liked. And so, but the, all the males, for example, did have to go outside, all had to go outside and they all had to work into the field, but there was, but there was a significant difference between the two. And it's that, um, my, my male cousins, my male counterparts who are of equivalent age, uh, they would get paid for working in those fields or, for example, washing my grandfather's car or doing other chores. They would get paid. You know, me and my brother, my brother was two years younger than me or is two years younger than me. You know, we would have to do all these things for free. Okay, so wait, hold up. Your brother's like seven years old and doing this? Yeah, yeah. Come on. We were were nine and seven and 10 and eight. And so we'd be out there sweating in the sun, having to do work uh, for, you know, nothing really. And so, and while everybody else, they would get an allowance for my grandparents, which is interesting enough because they don't live there. Uh, And they would like, and that's just how that's just how that would happen. And so even in the wintertime, even in the wintertime, you know, uh, my grandparents, they would uh, they had two cars that I knew of at the time. And so uh, they would. Uh, they would like get up in the morning, you know, warm up one of the cars, usually they would warm up one of the cars and they would get in the car and either my cousins would were at their house or they would go and get my cousins and take them to school. But me and my brother had to walk. <laughs> and we all and we all went to the same elementary school. No way. No way, man. Dude, so your your grandpa, like he it sounds like he was pretty wealthy. Cause if you're this would have been uh let's see. In 1990 something around that? Yeah, 1995, 6. Oh, I was born in 87. So 96. Yes. 96, 97. No, no, no. Oh, no. They weren't wealthy by any means. Well, he, he must have had. But if he's, I mean, man, like two cars, like anyone who owns two cars and has a house and a piece of land. Like well, n- nowadays, well, 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 he had it. Well, he had when this, but it wasn't that the house was large, right? He had a house. Yeah, I see what you're saying. The, he had, he had two cars, but only one of them was, you know, relatively new. The other one may have been maybe. Oh, I see. I see. If I remember correctly, it's maybe about twenty or thirty years old, and so that's what. And, and then so the land, the land that he had that was down the alley, that land never belonged to him. It was just that. We were, you know, we lived in a city or the city was impoverished at that time. And so things weren't strictly enforced. And so if you kind of use that land and we were kind of sectioned off. And so no one ever came to him and say, you can't use that land. He took uh, what's that thing called squatters rights or whatever. Where you, like, go yeah, and you, yeah, you yeah, just you claim can. the land, and then if you're, I think if you're, I don't know the rule. It's there's some rule up in Canada where, like, if you if you like put up a structure on land and you have it for like five years straight, and no one says anything, and it's public land, it becomes your land or something. <laughs> right? Yeah, there's something similar to like that here, and so yeah, that's kind of what. So, and so I don't want to give off the wrong thing. Like we really like they didn't have much. They made it seem like they did, but they, they, they didn't have much. And so um, it was an older car. The older car was like an old, I can't tell you, maybe like an Oldsmobile. And he had, and the other car was like a truck. I think he had like a, F1, a Ford F-150 or something like that. And then, uh, and then, and the land belonged to him. 
it's so funny. It's just like when it's like the mental model, right? So if you're like, yeah, man, my friend, uh, like has a house, has a piece of land, has two cars. I think the brain automatically calculates it as like, whoa, like dude's doing well. Right. But it's like, until you like actually break it down, you're like, okay, wait, it was a shotgun house. It was a duplex. The walls are missing. And so I can clarify that even further. I mean, I mean, I lived, I mean, we didn't have, they didn't have hot water, right? There was no hot water. And so when, um, you know, uh, when I wanted to take a bath, for example, when I was there, you know, it was kind of like you go to the stove, you, you heat up some water, you heat up some water and you pour it into a little pail. You take the pail to the bathroom and then, you know, you kind of, you, you wipe yourself down, probably stand it up. You may stand in the tub, you may stand next to the sink. You may stand in the tub. It, it, it all depends on what time of the year it is. And so like even the bathroom door never really had like a, it never had a, it didn't have a knob. There was a little, I wouldn't even say a chain lock. It was kind of like a little thing that you would just slide a little, little lock thing in the hole to close the door. And so like, they're like, like there, there was, there was really not much there. Um, and, and so, um, it was an interesting, uh, situation, um, you know, um, you know, at, during that time. And, and, you know, I don't want to, I always find myself in, in an interesting situation where I don't want to shame, where I don't, I don't want to shame my family. Um, but, the situation is what it is, right? And so, and so, when I was there, you know, when I was there, you know, it's a lower income community, and then at the same time, they didn't have much, and so you deal with certain things about being in lower income stuff. And so, I would sleep on the floor, and I would sleep on the floor, and there could or could not be critters, <laughs> and so yeah. There could 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 not be critters around, and so you never you you never really know. And and then, for example, I was only sleeping on I was only sleeping on the floor because we weren't allowed to sleep on the couch because we weren't one of their favorites. And so, even though the couch was vacant, vacant. Oh man! (laughs) And how how long did you guys live there for? And so we lived there. um, Maybe we lived there maybe two years, and then maybe a year or two and then we moved out we stayed uh different places as my mom's work because you know one of the things with being a uh a lpn is that or a nurse or anything is that you kind of have to be where the demand is and if you stay where the demand isn't they can cut your hours and so we would move back and forth between illinois and missouri um just for where her work is but then i think when she started to like uh, get sick, for example, um, she would, uh, you know, we found ourselves back there at least once that I can remember. And so, um, and, and then there was another time that, yeah, there was, it was at least once. And then there was another time we didn't have a place to stay, but we didn't go there. And so, and that was an interesting situation in itself. But, uh, and then, you when you moved from East St. Louis, you moved away for college. Yeah, I moved. Yeah, I moved. Did, away, I, yeah, I moved away for college. And where, like, where did you end up going? Because you've been to three places. You went to one, like you went to university, then you went to grad, two different uh, yeah. grad schools. Yeah. So when I left, uh, I had a scholarship to uh, a school in Arkansas. And so I went down. So I went down there. It was a historically black college in Arkansas. And I went down there. I had earned a full scholarship through a program they had in the St. Louis area. Uh, and so I had kind of got that. I applied at like the last minute, and I got that scholarship. And then um, I went down there for maybe maybe a a year, year and a half or two before I lost that scholarship. And why was it an? It was just a full academic scholarship. Yeah, it was a full academic scholarship, and so and so. What happened? Like, how yeah. how pumped were you to get it? And then, like, what happened when you lost it? So I was excited to get it, um, mainly because college to me, like, I knew, uh, like, which is so funny that when I think back about it, like, I participated 
in like the college programs because there were things like Upward Bound and stuff like that, which were designed to kind of get first generation college students into school and stuff like that. Or, you know, but where we were, they never actually fully explained what college was. And so I didn't really understand what college was until maybe a few weeks before I graduated high school. And so it was kind of like, it was kind of like a frenzy, like, where am I going to go? What am I going to do? And stuff like that and everything. Because, you know, from what was around me, it's kind of like you graduate from school, you go and get a job, you work, and that's just it. And so when this whole concept of college was, you know, introduced and really explained to what it was, uh, what it was, it was like, oh, that'd be nice. And then they had a scholarship program. I applied. I remember staying up with my counselor to dang near midnight just to get it in right before I got awarded the scholarship and that it was great. Like I thought it was, uh, I thought it was amazing. Um, and so it was me and another guy in my class and we wanted to be in roommates. Um, when I first uh, went to college in Arkansas and so, uh, first year was cool. He wound up leaving, not coming back. It was fine. Um, the second year I was there. I don't, I can't remember if I, no, I finished that second year. So I kind of had like two years, under that scholarship, but then I lost my scholarship mainly because, um, not for academics, but the scholarship, um, they, they raised the scholarship exists because, uh, the providers of the scholarship raised money. And so they raised money to keep that program going. And so they would have a lot of events throughout the year that, you know, either the student or the student's family would participate in. And so that was around the time that my mom got sick. And so, uh, you you know, I think around that kind of time she had breast cancer or something like that. And, and so, yeah, I think it was breast cancer around that time. She had wound up getting, having like a, a skin cancer later on. And then I think another bone cancer somewhere within there. But, um during that time, you know, they would say, oh, you have this responsibility where you have to come back to the St. Louis area and do X, Y, and Z, or, you know, or they would have like a, a football game or something to raise money. And they were like, oh, your mom could, would have to come by, or you would have to sell X number of tickets to do whatever. And so when my mom is on and off working because she's sick and can't really sell tickets, and then my family doesn't really have much money, you can't sell tickets. If I'm six hours away in Arkansas and I don't have money to come up and help you guys promote, then I can't really contribute. And so they kind of was understanding to that until at the end of my second year. And they they took away my scholarship because I couldn't afford a transcript. I couldn't afford a six dollar transcript to send them um, to say that I passed my classes. I didn't have six dollars to send my transcript to them and they took my scholarship. Um, just and so and so then like what did you do from there to to finish <laughs> um from from there so uh whew. man I love Big Mike that was my buddy Big Mike and uh, I appreciate that he was on that's part one of the multi-series that we're going to drop here so we've got three to four episodes of Mike's life that are going to keep dropping week after week so uh, I appreciate Mike a ton make sure you check out his podcast We Leave You This check it out download subscribe on iTunes really good he and his wife Tammy do it together but love listening to it and would love if you would check it out definitely give it a sub give it a review too it's always good spread the love music by samurai guitarist big ups to him threw down a cover justin bieber a little jazz cover of i'm sorry loved it threw it in there maybe you noticed it in the background nice little texture also what's love got to do what's love got to do with it that was kenny floyd Kenny Floyd, he's a, a dude just jamming it out on YouTube doing acoustic covers, so it was cool. Just kind of found that nugget, threw it in there, but big ups to Kenny Floyd. If you liked it, 
go check that guy out too. He's he, I think he's got like 300, let's call it 346 subscribers on his YouTube page. So maybe just go give him a sub. I'm sure you'd appreciate all the love. Kind of cool dude. This week's series, this episode, it's brought to you by Cedar and Moss. So Cedar and Moss makes mid-century modern lighting. Uh, really, really great company based out of Portland, Oregon. And cool thing about Cedar and Moss is they're growing. And they've been growing over the past uh, past few years. They make high-quality handcrafted lights with metal and wood and glass and all these great materials. Handcraft them the, the hipster way, the Portlandia way. But they've been growing so much that they uh, they just went into a new building. So as of this week, they went into this building that's set up for more of a, of a production facility. I think it's like 14,000 square feet. And it's uh, it's got the shipping dock and all the good things that you need to, to jump from 6,000 feet to 14,000 feet. So give them the two hands in the air, the praise, the... I guess the appreciation, but yeah, big ups to them, and uh, make sure you go check them out, Cedar and Moss, C-E-D-A-R-A-N-D-M-O-S-S dot com. If you need a light, if you got a light bulb burned out, go get a new light. Don't just buy the bulb, get a light. Go get a Cedar and Moss light, because they're great, so uh, check them out, and make sure you check out F Apparel, E-P-H Apparel, custom tailored suits made to your need made to your measurements you pick all the fabric you you do all the good stuff but you can enter all your measurements online fapparel.com enter promo code character get 20 percent off your next order so if you got a bar mitzvah coming up if you want to look good at church or maybe you just want to eat your cheerios at the breakfast table in a scottish twill wool suit f apparel's got you covered go show them some love and can't wait to see you next week with the next drop of Mike's story. It's a good one.